country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre. As we head towards the elections on the 17th of April, our topic today is a key battleground in the rival campaigns, the economy. So what is the current state of Indonesia's economy? And what are voters' key concerns as they head to the ballot box? Will Jokowi's Indonesia Maju, or Progress Indonesia, project pay off? To explore these questions and more, we're joined by Lana Sulistianingsi from the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Indonesia and Head of Research at Samuel Asset Management. Hello, Lana. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia. Hello, Gemma. How are you there? I'm great. Thank you. Lana, I wondered if you might give us your opinion, perhaps, of the state of the Indonesian economy right now. How do you see the Indonesian economy tracking? I can say the economy has improved, Gemma, since in 2015. In 2015, at the time, we had the economic growth about 4.9. It was the lowest after 2009, you know, the global economic crisis at the time in 2009. And after 2015, the economy already in an uptrending year. Last year, in 2018, the growth posted at 5.3%. 17% annually, but still, even though the economy is going up, the most economic driven comes from the household consumption. The household consumption contributes like 56% of the total GDP nominal, so it's quite high. So if the household consumption is quite strong, then the economy will follow. And last year, the household consumption improved quite significantly because the government provide kind of a stimulus funding, uh, we call it social funding, for the lower income group. Uh, the government gave the cash program to the lower income group. In 2018, the government has spent for the social benefit about 138 trillion rupiah, maybe almost uh, US dollar, 10 billion US dollar. Who's eligible for the social benefit, Lana? They have the data on what they call Keluarga Harapan, Hoping Family. They have the standardization. And right now, the Hoping Family counts 15 million families. As you know, uh, people in below poverty line right now is about 20 million families. So mm-hmm. 75% of the total population under poverty line gets this benefit. Mm-hmm. This is the highest ever because during the President Yudhoyono era, it was only 20 trillion rupiah. Last year is 138 trillion rupiah. Mm. And next year, in 2019, the budget for the social funding increased to become 180 trillion rupiah. It's about 13 billion US dollar. For that reason, I expect the economy will, especially on the household consumption, will still be quite strong because the election is in April. We expect the social funding supposed to be dispersed mostly on the first quarter. In the second quarter, we have Huasalabara, festive season. Yes. People spend a lot of money for that kind of festive. So mm-hmm. the first quarter, we expect the economy will grow near to 5.2% year on year. 
And so is the stimulus packages that you're talking about, which Mm -hmm. you're describing as being so important to the overall growth in the economy at the moment in Indonesia, this is part of of, uh, the Joko Widodo government's program, isn't it, to push for more equitable development? Is that part of that program? Yeah, exactly. Well, from Jokowi's point of view, it's reasonable because in the beginning of his government, he put the target, let's say the Gini coefficient, to be 0.35. And that is an indicator of? Of the disparity between 20% lower income group to the 20% of the highest income group, the disparity of the income. Yeah, but right now it's still 0.39. So if Pak Jokowi says, I provide this bigger social funding, that's because I like to achieve lower Gini coefficient, Mm. you know, it's kind of reasonable. Mm -hmm. But from the challenger perspective, it's kind of a populist policies, right? Right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) incumbent always has the benefit lah. Exactly. That actually brings me to my questions about the election and the economy or aspects of the economy seem to be really important ones in this present campaign. As an economist, and you're also watching the campaign, what do you see as the voters' main concerns? What are the issues that they're caring about in terms of the economy, finance, that kind of thing? Well, as you know, uh, Gemma, election is always full of better economic promises for the future, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, but what I recognize from what people want right now is having a price stability, jobs creation, and of course, following of that income, the purchasing power, higher purchasing power. And if I review the performance of Pajokowi, Pajokowi has shown is quite a good performance on maintaining the inflation rate in a quite low level, around 3% in the last four years. But behind of stability, especially for the food price, is, is quite stable right now. The government import quite a lot of food materials, yeah? Which acts so, to, st- to stabilize the price. Yes, that's to stabilize the price because mm. government has no stock of the food. So how to stabilize the price is make sure the stock is ready. So if you look at Indonesian history, inflation and price stability is very, very important, isn't it? If you know, we reflect on the end of the Suharto government, for example, where huge spikes in costs of basic goods at the time yeah. it was the Asian economic yeah. crisis saw unrest civil unrest. So this is a priority for government. The priority, yeah, from mm. the Pajokowi's uh, perspective, yeah. the price uh, stability, especially on the food. Mm. Let's say like two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, two years ago, the price of uh, meat increased almost uh, 100% during Lebaran. Mm. You know, in the Lebaran, people always have in their home beef. Yes. We call it uh, rendang. Almost in every house, uh, you will find rendang. It was increased from 40,000 rupiah to almost 80,000 rupiah. And after that, Pak Jokowi, it seems he imported beef three months before Lebaran. And last year, we find the price of beef is quite stable. Mm, supply and demand, simple. Supply and demand. So you're saying that Jokowi's been very strategic in terms of his intervention or the intervention of his government? Yes, yes. Especially mm. now we are having uh, election. Uh, government doesn't take any risk for instability comes from the food price. Yeah, right. Yeah. You mentioned also jobs creation. So unemployment, um, you know, we're talking about the formal and informal economies in Indonesia. Can you say a little bit about unemployment or are we talking about full employment? Yeah. Well, we still have unemployment like 5.3%. The target 
of the government is about 4% to 5% by the end of 2019. It's close enough. Lah. Mm. But if you come to the detail of the unemployment data, now the inf- informal sector is bigger than the formal sector. Right. Yeah, when you talk about the quality of jobs, that's the problem. But when you ask about what is the unemployment, it's quite low, 5.3%. Mm. But you talk about the quality, that's become the issues. When you go to the informal sector, you don't have security. The company doesn't pay for your insurance, doesn't provide you health care, doesn't provide you uh, like uh, what you call bonus. The worker is very unprotected in that. Unprotected, unsecure. That's why Jokowi maybe provide this kind of social benefit. Yes, well, the Minister for Finance, Sri Mulyani, she recently gave a talk in Australia where she was quite confident in general about the economy, but she did point out that the workforce is underskilled or unskilled, really. Unskilled. Yeah, as you said, yeah, as as you mentioned, and I think she quoted that 60% have minimal skills training and and less than 12% have university degrees. So is that a part of what's being talked about in the campaign, this idea of education and training for workers? Not exactly like that, but another focus of Pajukovic's government, if he is elected in April, he will focus more on uh, human resource development. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the budget goes to training or improving the quality of the labor. Yeah. Mm Right, yes, yeah, so that is addressed. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing we know about the about Indonesia's population, that the median age is 28 years and over 40% of the population is under 25. So, yeah, yeah this is uh, a, a lot of people that need to be skilled up in order to achieve yeah. the goals for development. Yeah. So Jokowi has also been criticised by some for putting his development agenda before other considerations, perhaps. I just wondered if you wanted to comment on his program of getting things done and maybe cutting corners in order to do that and thinking more short-term than long-term. How do you respond to those criticisms of what his government's been up to? When you're running the election, you talk to the people... People doesn't want to hear something very long-term program. They only want, you know, like uh, short-term, what will be next year. <laughs> mm. uh, well, maybe that's because of the big people needs the program to be realized as soon as possible. Having like uh, education program, it takes more than 20 years, I think. Mm-hmm. You cannot get it in the next two years if you want to see the quality of the uh, human resources. You have to have like long-term program, but people doesn't want to hear a long-term program. Mm. They need to hear what will be the price of rice uh, or rice meat at yeah at Ramadan yeah. Mm-hmm. or during this year, and mm. what will be the price of chabe? You know, uh, mm. chabe. What do you call chabe? Chili. Oh God, chili. Chili. <laughs> mm-hmm. chili. Mm. Because chili is always yeah we need as an ingredient in our food. Essential. Essential, very yeah. essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just hard for uh, like Jokowi, who is running for the government or election and, and talking about the long-term program. People won't hear. I mean, that is also interesting because there, you know, there's always a bit of a gap between what the analysts and the econ- you know, the economists in this case, you know, maybe the commentariat 
may be saying and then you know what the public need or want or will be will be motivated yeah. by that can be quite different things on that development program of Jokowi's government these past five years he yeah. has had a huge infrastructure program with I think a spend of 30 billion dollars or something in that order building ports and roads and airports yeah. and all sorts of mm-hmm. things what impact has this huge expenditure had on the Indonesian economy in the short term and what do you think it will have in the longer term yeah in 2014 when Pajokowi runs he promised actually he promised to build infrastructure which is a very real problem at the time in our economy because many investors mentioned that infrastructure is very bad, electricity is not enough for the manufacturer, so manufacturer has to uh, to build their own uh, electricity by buying generators, something like that. Yeah. Uh, not mention the traffic jam and everything. So in this five years, yeah, Pak Jokowi shows the infrastructure project some of them not all yeah because if we come to the first proposal Pak Jokowi wants to build infrastructure the total investment value needed are about 3000 billion US dollar for the total investment mm-hmm. from the 2015 to 2019 but it's impossible because the government budget is very limited mm-hmm. so they have to give the project to the SOE yeah, state on enterprises mm-hmm. And right now, the problem for state-owned enterprises, they increase the debt quite huge. <laughs> well, yeah. But that's another problem, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but on the infrastructure, what Jokowi did is, is quite uh, significant. We can see Java now has uh, TransJava. In 2019, maybe um, from Banten to Banyuwangi will be connected. Is almost 1,000 kilometers, yeah. Of road, Sumatra yeah. is now already started, even though the progress is not quite fast. And some port, if you come to Indonesia from Australia using Garuda, you will be in Terminal Three. That's the new one. There are so many, but those kind of infrastructure, as a project, as a project, infrastructure is quite uh, significant. Mm. Yeah, numbers, okay. Mm. Mm. But in terms of the multiplier effect, it's not significant. Why? Because the, the methodology to build the infrastructure now is different yeah, compared to maybe 10 years ago. Now you, you build the infrastructure like you play with Lego. Uh, you don't see the labor who works in that infrastructure. You only see one, maybe three, or maybe some. Because they just pluck the, you know, the block block like, like Lego, mm-hmm. and it's done. Right. They built the Lego in a factory. So for that reason, in a short run, this is quite a surprise because in the beginning, I also believe that this infrastructure will create more jobs, mm-hmm. create more economic growth. At least we can go like more than 5.5% every year because of this infrastructure. Mm. But because the way they built the infrastructure is more on fabrican, yeah? It's prefabricated. Yeah, that's why the multiplier effect on the economy is not much. Right. So this is where when some commentators talk about Indonesia's growth being slightly disappointing, and even though, even yeah. though it still seems pretty healthy f- compared to lots of other countries, but yeah. it's because there was an expectation that's the not quite been met. About, uh, 7% per annum is, is really unbelievable. That yeah. number comes from yeah. where? Right. <laughs> I don't know. But 5% if you compare to other countries is quite okay. We are ranked on the, uh, the highest economic growth in the world. But you're saying in the shorter term, it's not having the trickle down 
down to jobs, like real stuff that people can get and say, oh, I'm benefiting from that. But in the longer term, Lana, surely this infrastructure development is going to have huge benefits for Indonesia. Is that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. In the long term, in the long run, I'm sure this project will help the economy, especially for attracting foreign direct investment and also to support growth. Foreign investors usually complain about the electricity. Now, Java, the electrification ratio almost 100% already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so supposed to be no more complaint from the manufacturer to get the electricity. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's happened in a short time. Yeah, in almost five years. Yeah, mm. yeah, and also another benefit lowering yes. the logistics cost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To get your but, your product from the farm or the factory to to the port. For to the port and the whatever. other way around the port to the factory. Yeah. Right now, let's say if you notice about Jakarta, from Tanjung Priok, the harbor, the mm. biggest harbor, mm. to the factory, let's say in Tangerang, it needs more than five hours. Hopefully, it will improve the Indonesian position on the World Bank survey, on the logistic cost survey. Mm-hmm. Right now, Indonesian position is in 46 out of 160 countries. Okay, so need to improve. It needs to improve, right? Mm. If we want to see the progress, the impact of the infrastructure, it's supposed to be seen from the better position on the logistic ranking from the World Bank. Mm. And there have also been other issues related to the infrastructure program. They came up last month in the presidential debate, which was focused on infrastructure and energy issues. And there were concerns raised about losses due to corruption and bribery from that program. The accusations being that a lot of their programs are being rushed through and not following proper process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're also, you follow the debate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you would agree this is a reality that these losses are yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of them are right, yeah, because our structural problem is that corruption is still very difficult, yeah, to reduce it. But, well, it's kind of a egg and chicken. If we need to wait until the corruption things uh, low, but we are in a rush to improve the infrastructure. Mm. But Prabowo mentioned the infrastructure is supposed to be for the people, infrastructure for people, not the other way around. So he mentioned when you build infrastructure, don't sacrifice people. But sometimes I think when you need to build something, yeah, sometimes you sacrifice. A development is always sacrificing, right? And that so, seems to have been Jokowi's approach in this case. You, you'd exactly. Share yeah. His view but on the that. way Pak Jokowi approached to the people, I may say, is quite friendly. Mm. I don't see any huge demonstration when government asking about their land to build the Trans Sumatra, Trans Java, also some toll in Jakarta. There is no huge uh, demonstration on that. Maybe the compensation is quite okay, as long as the compensation is fair enough mm. for the people. Maybe go back to one of the points that you made earlier about the economy in general and what's stimulating the economy at the moment. And you mentioned household consumption Consumption, and as a a consequence really of all this government stimulus in the economy Mm -hmm. through the welfare programs, but also through this Indonesia Maju, this infrastructure investment, this government spending is really driving the economy. In the current election campaign again, 
An issue that is interesting for those of us outside Indonesia is this one around foreign direct investment in Indonesia. And could you tell us a little bit about where this kind of quite protectionist view or policy has come from and and why that is there? And will it matter for Indonesia's economic growth in the future, do you think, if there is a very low FDI? Yeah, the issue on foreign investor dominates the economy, to be honest, not become spread out there among people. But uh, I I may say this issue may be kind of a, an election issue too. Right. Yeah. In fact, if you see the Indonesian capacity or capability to build the economy, it's very difficult if we ignore foreign investor. It's very hard to lower the foreign ownership in Indonesian assets since the economy has saving investment gap. Mm. So how you build the, let's say, a factory, certain factory, if you don't have so much money? The real problem in our economy is the saving investment gap is quite huge. So that's why the issue on the debt is, becomes very popular right now. And some of the debt comes from not only foreign direct investment, but also the foreign ownership in bond market, Indonesian bond market becomes a critical point to the government. Why foreign has this portion? It's too high, 40%, 38% is too high. But who will buy the government bond if not foreign? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about foreign investor, we have to realize that we have no money. We have a saving investment gap. That's the reality. Once you are in the government, you will see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and now maybe you can say, oh, no, foreigners go back to your country. Cannot lah. Yeah. And if we see the data from the investment coordination agency, the data shows the value of FDI increases every year, almost every year, only last year. Last year is like anomaly, yeah? mm-hmm. but almost every year the value of FDI increases. The total value mm. of FDI in, mm. a, in a rupiah term mm. increases. Right. So the, the rhetoric whole... does not match the reality. So the rhetoric being that even Jokowi has followed the Prabowo lead on this, you know, we don't, we don't want to sell off Indonesia. But you're saying that, in fact, the data shows that year on year there's been a, an increase in increase. foreign investment. Yeah, increasing. Yeah. And the government every year is trying to improve the investment climate, including they do delisted the negative investment list. They provide tax holiday, tax allowance to the foreign investor. Mm. That means the government actually quite friendly to the foreign investor. And I'm sure if if Pak Prabowo were in the government after the election, he will do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that. If we don't invite foreign investors to Indonesia, who will invest in Indonesia? Right. And that brings me to China. What are they feeling about Chinese investment at the moment? China likes to have bigger hegemony in the world, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of demand supply. The demand comes from the Indonesia. We need investment from foreigns, right? The supply right now, the biggest supply is from China money. Yeah. Yeah. This is the fact, right? Mm. Of course, we like to have Australian money, Australian investor comes to Indonesia, American investor comes to Indonesia. But the global economy right now is not support that kind of interest. Yeah. We talk about the Fed rate, we talk about the uncertainty, global uncertainty because of China, US trade war and something like that. If you still see the uncertainty in the global, if you were an investor, what would you do? Will you will do kind of a wait and see situation, right? Wait until next year, mm. hopefully the global uncertainty will be lower. So you can start the investment in Indonesia and something like that. Mm. And 
a little bit different with China. Maybe China is more aggressive investor. Yeah. Mm. They don't mind with the uncertainty. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But if we come to the data from BKPM, the Investment Coordination Agency, the biggest investor still not China, even right now. First, of course, there is Singapore and other ASEAN. So that does bring us to the agreement recently signed with Australia, the Indonesia-Australia Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement. Australia is nowhere near the top 10 of Indonesia's trading partners. So how do you think a free trade agreement like this might impact on Indonesia? Do you think there'll be benefits for Indonesia? Yeah, free trade agreement theoretically give benefit for the consumer. By free trade agreement, consumer will get a lower price of the product and it will improve the wealth. Indonesia also signed free trade agreement with China in 2010. Also with uh, ASEAN-China free trade agreement, the 1st January of 2010. Indonesia also signed free trade agreement with European economy, with Japan and other, with Korea also. They have quite a few of them. Right, exactly, yeah. And we see the variety of the product in the domestic market. Is, now it's becoming quite huge. Yeah. So on the yeah. supermarket shelves, you have so much more choice. Exactly. Yeah, that's the benefit for the consumer. And also the price is very competitive then. So if the Australian product comes to Indonesia, we will find, oh, this Australian product, okay, we can compare to other products. Let's say you have a cheese, you have milk. We have a variety of products. That's a good thing. It's a positive thing, right? Yeah for uh, the consumer perspective, yeah. Mm, mm. But then if we talk about the overall, Indonesia economic structure, the, the export structure is still very traditional. Indonesian export, 70% mainly is commodity based. The price of the commodity is not quite stable. So right now, if you see the trade balance Indonesia-China become deficit. Indonesian trade balance with Thailand becomes deficit. That's because we export commodity base, we import the manufacture. Yeah, the value-added product. Yeah. So how Indonesia can take benefit from this uh, FTA with Australia? I guess Indonesia should, yeah, again, maybe Australia, uh, I, I may say this is a new, new market mm. for Indonesia, export. And I think in my perspective, Maybe Australia is one of the prospective markets for the CPO, crude palm oil, mm. uh, Kelapa Sawit. CPO export right now to Europe is very limited because they have regulation on the CPO. Also to India and from the China, they are now switching from CPO to other products. They prefer soybeans instead of CPO. I don't know uh, if after trade war issues with US, maybe their import of CPO increased a little bit. Yeah. But still, we have a surplus of CPOs. Again, as you say, this is a commodity. In the short term, yeah. I don't think we can shift very quickly uh, to value-added sector like mm. manufacturing sector. Mm. But from right now, government has to change the structure of the export. They have to find the new market. They have to sell the new products. The product diversification, the market diversification is very important right now. Otherwise, we will see trade deficit for quite a long time in the future. Well, that actually brings us to one of the other areas that Jokowi and, well, to a lesser extent, I think Prabowo have been talking about in this campaign, and that is the digital economy. And mm-hmm. uh, Jokowi is putting a lot of emphasis on wanting to stimulate that part of Indonesia's economy and drawing attention to the success of the 
I think there's now four unicorns, which are tech startups that are worth a billion dollars or more, they're Indonesian startups. Do you think that this is the way to go, that there's huge potential here for Indonesia? Yeah, we know the four unicorn in Indonesia, let's say the the marketplace should be regulated. If you talk about the online shop compared to the conventional shop, the conventional they have the regulation, the government put the regulation that they have to sell like 60% of domestic product. And right now, still not applied on the online marketplace. So they have to treat the marketplace fairly. I mean, in the same playing field. Right now, maybe the issue, oh, we are still like less than five years. If you put the tax, if you regulate us, we cannot develop. Right. Yeah, that's kind of a reason during Pak Suharto era. The infant industry always mentioned that they are still infant. That's why they need protection from the government. Mm. But right now, the issue on the protection things is not valid anymore. Right. So you're saying that it's not a level playing field at present. Yeah. So the devil because is in yeah the detail and the regulation. Because I guess on the surface, they're calling it Industrial Revolution 4.0. And it's, it's very youthful. And I guess it's designed to appeal to millennial voters, perhaps. They use uh, gadget everywhere for every purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no, yeah, there's no doubting that Indonesians yeah. use a lot of digital technology and that great early adopters of all of that kind of thing and that digital economy is potentially huge. But what you're saying is that need to be careful about the regulatory environment and make sure that you're not undercutting the, you know, the traditional marketplace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Really running out of time, but Lana, can we maybe finish with your reflections on what you see as the main challenges facing Indonesia's economy into the future, medium, long-term future, perhaps? Yeah, from domestic perspective, we have structural problem, yeah, due to high dependency on import. So in the future, I hope the government can lower imports by inviting raw material substitution import investment coming to Indonesia. Hopefully, Australia can be one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and shift the export from the commodity base to manufacturer mm-hmm. uh, base. And I guess that that involves too that you will be having to train your workforce and to give them more skills. Exactly, the yeah. improving the quality of the human resources development, even though this is, cannot be done quickly, mm. but the government has to show that they started from now, mm. yeah. the program to improve the quality. Otherwise, we will lose bonus demography by the end of 2035. Mm. So you have maybe another 10 years yeah, to, to improve the quality of the uh, labor. Yeah, you're talking the bonus demographic is this, you know, this exactly. bubble of young people, yeah. yeah, that you've got right now that you can harness. Yeah. harness Otherwise, that after that, the people becomes a liability for the economy. I mean, yeah. uh, if you don't provide jobs to fulfill the working age population. Yeah. Another issue, I wondered if, if this was on your list of challenges, and we only mentioned it briefly, but is that concern about corruption in the economy? Is that a big drain on the economy, a cost, or is it kind of negligible? Still, the corruption is a kind of a cost for the economy. But we should appreciate what the government have done with uh, online single submission, especially on the investment side. Now they have online single submission, so foreign investor or other investor want to invest in Indonesia, they can do online, so they do not need to face to face with the employee in a in the daerah, in the local uh, local provinces. So they can do online. So mm. by doing online, 
I'm sure they can reduce. Yeah, maybe cannot be eliminated, but the uh, opportunities for for this kind of corruption. Perhaps. Yeah, for this kind of corruption. Of yeah. course, still some. They call it maybe pungli. Yeah, pungli is small amount of corruption. But <laughs> when you some of the pungli, it becomes a big, big corruption also. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, a little still, bit here uh, and there, and it adds up at the end. That's yeah. the problem. I, I I think we can reduce, but. Maybe it will take a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so, to be realistic. Yeah, to be realistic. But overall, Lana, would you say that you're an optimist about Indonesia's economic future? I'm optimist. <laughs> yeah. For the next year, my team from Samuel Asset Management have a projection the economic growth will be 5.24% in 2019. It's improved from last year, 2018, 5.17%. But we still have a quite huge room to improve the economic growth. But maybe right now we have difficulty because of the structural problem. When the economy is growing, imports will follow to grow. That's the problem. Mm. Yeah. Because demand for goods increases. Increase, right? Mm -hmm. It will grow. And then what? Rupiah will depreciate because we need the foreign exchange to buy the import product. That's the, the, the circular flow of our economy. But I'm optimistic because I still see the huge room for Indonesian economy to grow. Well, maybe not to 7%, but to 5.5% is still possible. Yeah. And as you say, overall standard of living in Indonesia has improved for most people and for even those people at the lowest end of society are seeing some improvements in their standards of living. Exactly. Yeah, it's improved. Uh, right now, Indonesia in uh, GDP per capita becomes a little bit above 4,000 per year. And according to uh, World Bank classification, that amount already goes to middle-lower uh, income countries. Before, we are still on the lower middle-income countries. Now, uh, this uh, last year, 2018, Indonesia includes in the middle, lower income countries. Ah, so well, better lah. <laughs> slowly, slowly improving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Lana, thank you so much. And it's nice to end on that optimistic note. Thanks for joining us on Talking Indonesia. Very welcome, Gemma. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. That was Dr. Lana Sulustianingsi from the Faculty of Economics and Business at the University of Indonesia and Head of Research at Samuel Asset Management. Talking Indonesia will return on the 21st of March, hosted by Dirk Thompson. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. You can subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.